we confess our great need for you. Would you speak to us through your word, encourage our hearts, and build us up that you might send us out of here in a few minutes, uh, praising and confessing the name of Jesus with confidence and boldness and gratitude. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, River City. If you have a Bible, um, turn it to Psalm 104. Uh, If you need a Bible, um, Tom and Andrea will uh, come by. You can slip your hand up. They can put one in your hands. Uh, We've been reading from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106 through the lens of God's people coming out of exile and returning to him. And what it means for us as God's New Testament people living as members of God's kingdom underneath the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ as our king. But before we read our text today, I'd like to ask you a question. Picture in your mind a place you've been that just made you stop. A a place that left you speechless and in awe. I'll give you an easy one. Maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon. And you stand and you look over this this expansive carve out in the ground for miles and miles with layers of of color and uniqueness. Way down at the bottom you see a, a river. And you just stand there and kind of stare. I know... Many of you in some of the places you've lived or visited. So, so maybe it's not the Grand Canyon. Maybe what you're picturing when I, when I ask you about a place where, that has kind of made you stop and stare in awe. Maybe you're picturing a, an expansive African plain that's dotted with trees and wildlife. M- maybe you're picturing looking over the edge of a, of a once active volcano that used to be destroyed by what when it erupted, but now is green and lush, filled with life all around the basin. Or maybe what you're picturing is a literal mountaintop experience, where as you step out towards the edge, the clouds themselves are, are under your feet. You're literally standing above the clouds. H- have you had some of these? The places You've been where, for just a moment, the only thing that can come out of your mouth is, wow. I have a handful of places that come to mind when I, when I think about that question for myself. Uh, and the one that kind of rose to the surface is just a few summers ago, um, we went to the Pacific Northwest and I stood on the, the northwest corner of the North American continent with my feet in the water just looking westward. And going, wow. Uh, I actually went to look for a photo of it. And I don't have a picture from where I was standing on the beach. Just the picture, that's the beach we were at. in The beach in question. Um, And it really wouldn't matter, even if I took a picture. No matter the quality of my phone or the quality of my camera. Taking a picture from the spot where I stood would fail to capture, you all know what I'm talking about, would fail to capture the actual experience of standing there and looking out at the edge of the, the sea and to nothing or to everything that was before me. You're not going to capture that in a photo. It would look very much like this. 
kind of cool and all, but just kind of gray ocean expanse. That sense of awe, speechlessness. Now, if you don't have an experience like that, if you can't picture that in your mind, can I just encourage you to get out more? Like, just go outside. There's lots of cool stuff to see. And the psalmist here in Psalm 104 is trying to paint a picture. I think he's trying to elicit, he's pulling out of, out of his readers a wow. Highlighting example after example of God's sovereign providence on display in creation and God's sovereign provision to uphold and sustain all that he's made. Providence, meaning God's power, his sovereignty, his unshakable rule and reign over all things. And provision, meaning God's power to sustain and care for all that he's made. Which leads the psalmist at the end of Psalm 104, and by God's grace will lead us to a profession. Not merely talking about the creation but a profession of worship and awe for the one who created all these things that amaze us. What I hope to uncover this morning in Psalm 104 is that the glory of God on display in creation and the sustaining power of Christ Jesus should elicit a response from us. It should stir up in us praise to God. So let's read the text together. There's a lot of verses, 35 to be exact. Um, Psalm 104, I'll read them. Um, They'll be on the screen as well. I invite you to read along, to listen. Maybe it means closing your eyes and just considering the picture the psalmist is painting. Um, But but follow along here. We'll try to move through the verses quickly and clearly. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides in the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. As the, uh, the waters stood above the mountains, at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock, and plants for the man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees, The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make the darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away 
and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable. Living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And, when, and you renew the face of the ground. Verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing praise to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is God's holy and inerrant word. May it bear fruit in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, that was a lot. Thank you for sticking with me. Psalm 104 opens and closes like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And as Mitch highlighted last Sunday, this is a command, not just to sing, but to praise, to worship with their whole being. You see, I think you and I might be in danger of either looking upon the wonder of creation and being just completely unamazed or looking on all that God has created with amazement but failing to acknowledge the God who actually created it. Either way, we might be in trouble. But the psalmist, I think, is saying, no, creation should amaze you. So look around and let me tell you about the God who made and sustains all that you see. And there's a lot here in Psalm 104. Clearly, you you heard it. I read the whole thing. And we can't cover it all in great detail. But we're going to follow this ebb and flow. This theme that that rises to the surface here in in Psalm 104. From verse 2 all the way through verse 30. Looking at God's providence on display in creation. And God's provision to uphold and sustain all that he's created. So let's look. Verses, uh, starting in verse 2 through verse 9. It, it reads a little bit like a Genesis account. God at the beginning created all things. He said, let there be light and there was. He stretches out the heavens. Do you see the, the, the imagery there that, that the psalmist gives? Like, a, like an artist rolling out the canvas and pinning it down to the frame. He established the earth, setting its foundations and then laying its structure and then carefully and powerfully carving out the valleys and piling up the mountains, setting boundaries for the coastlines and commanding the waters. Here's where you stop. God's power and providence to create everything that we see. Verses 10 through 18 Not only did God carve out the mountains and carve out the valleys and put the water in its place, but he establishes it in such a way that it actually works to serve a purpose. Look at verse 10. 
It says, the springs gush forth in the valleys between the hills. And what do they do? Verse 11, what purpose do they serve? They give drink to every beast of the field. See, God designs in such a way so that he can provide exactly what his creation needs. Verse 13, it says, from your lofty abode you water the mountains. I love this imagery It's metaphorical. God being God doesn't sit there with a literal watering can like pouring it over the tops of the mountains. But in a very real way, God who does reign above not only establishes but cares for and tends to creation with his own hand. At the end of verse 13, it says the earth is Satisfied with the fruit of your work. Whose work? The Lord's work. The earth itself, creation itself, looks upon what God has done, looks upon God's sustaining power, and says, You do good stuff, God. The earth is satisfied. Let's continue. Verse 14 You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth in references wine and oil and bread. The grain and the fruit, the the livestock, the things for which we have responsibility, things we are to cultivate and labor over. Even in these things, we have to acknowledge that we don't cause the grass to grow. My lawn would be very different if I had say in how it grew, grew or didn't. After the rain from this last week, I had like a jungle in one section of my yard. My lawnmower was very mad at me. We We don't cause the grass to grow. We don't cause the livestock to give birth. We don't cause the fruit to ripen. Again, the bananas and the avocados on my counter would do far better if I could control how they ripened and how they grew. But we do tend to the livestock. We, we, do, we work the ground and harvest the crop and make the bread. Yet the acknowledgement for that provision from Psalm 104 goes to God. God still does that and not to us. God's providence and God's provision on display. So the first question that comes to my mind as I read through this is this. Who do you actually think is in charge of all this? Not just the Grand Canyons or the mountains or the weather, but the grass in your yard. Or maybe more pointedly, who's who's responsible for the provision for your family? Maybe for you it's not tending livestock or, or, or plowing a field. You're a teacher or you build apartments or you work in insurance or maybe you're a, you're a student. Maybe you bring home a wage. You work really hard at what you do. But do you acknowledge that, that everything you have, even in order to do your work, from the creativity of the, the mind, the fact that you can think things, all the way down to the breath in your lungs and the blood pumping through your body to your muscles to enable you to do things with your hands, all of this is from God. Every single ounce of it. And are you like verse 13 says, like the rest of creation, satisfied in the work and design of God in and through you. 
not taking away our responsibility. We're called to cultivate and build and work. There's stuff for us to do by God's design. But we, we, we do so with a clear understanding of who's the creator and who's the creation. Who's the sustainer and who's the recipient. All right, let's keep going. Verse 16 through 18, continue this pattern. The trees are planted by God and are cared for and watered by the Lord. And in those trees, birds build their nests. As an aside, Brock and I had a conversation this week about birds. I think I've talked about this before. My kids are really fascinated with the birds in our own yard. Birds, by and large, are not known for their intelligence, right? The phrase bird brain exists for a reason. And yet, birds build these fascinating architectural marvels called nests with their beaks. They don't even have opposable thumbs. And yet they do this. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm nerding out. I just find that kind of fascinating. Even the the goats and the rock badgers get a shout out here. I had to look up. What exactly is a rock badger? The wild animals that live in the cracks and crevices and caves of the, the mountains aren't there by accident. That's what the psalmist is letting us know of. Across the board, wherever they're at, God provides for their every need. No matter where they're at. Whose creation? God's creation. Who's sustaining power, making all things work and keeping all things functional? God's sustaining power. God's providence and God's provision on display. Let's continue. Verses 19 through 23. We're not just talking about the earth now. We're talking about the cosmos. He made the moon and the sun to mark the day and the night and to number the seasons. He orders both darkness and light. And even within those spheres, even within the darkness, he's created animals that function in the dark. When the moon goes up, they get to work, creeping about, as the psalmist says. And then he points out the lion. The lion does not work in the dark. The lion works in the morning. And at midday, the lion takes a nap by God's design. Verse 23, man rises early to work until the evening. God creates and sustains this order in all of creation. God's providence and God's power on display. Are you seeing this pattern? And then in verse 24, it's almost as if the psalmist can't help it. Seemingly out of place in this big, long kind of expression of talking about creation, the psalmist just blurts out, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works? It's like the praise kind of leaks out of his mouth. He can't help it. I see your work here and here and here and here and here, and it just spills out. In wisdom, you've made them all. And to this point, he's only covered the land and the moon and the sun, but mostly the land. And he says, so why don't we also talk about the water? So in verse 25, he starts in on the seas. Verses 25 and 26. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable. The Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. And the Hebrew word here might also be rendered the Leviathan, which you formed to play with. Now, it's a popularly held belief that we know more about space than we do about our own oceans. And if you take the universe as a whole and the expansiveness of the universe, and we don't even know if there are like other universes that coexist besides our universe. So all you comic book nerds are like, yes, multiverse. 
The rest of you are like, what is he talking about? Quantum physics, doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, I know nothing. The point is, of our observable space, of our observable part of the universe, compared to that, what we can actually see and explore, we do know a lot more about what we can see and explore about our observable area of space than we do about the depths of our own oceans. I read one uh, uh, writer this week who said, our knowledge of the ocean, when compared to our knowledge of the space we can know and explore, is shockingly thin. That was the quote. Here's a little ocean lesson for you. The ocean takes up about 71% of the Earth's overall space, yet 95% of that ocean is virtually unexplored. Think about that. 95% of 71% of what is called this ball of mud and water that we live on is virtually unexplored. Using radar, we have mapped the ocean floor. Well, not me personally. Uh, Humanity has found a way to map the ocean floor to a resolution of about three miles. What that means is within any three-mile stretch of the bottom of the ocean floor, we can generally tell what it looks like. Generally. Now, resolution of three miles tells us that so a one and a half by one and a half miles hole giant crater in the deepest parts of the ocean that could go down who knows how far, the best we can do is see over three miles that it kind of dips. We have more detailed maps of the planets in our solar system than we do of the floor of the ocean on this planet here. And when the psalmist says innumerable creatures, we're not just talking about tiny little microscopic plankton and bacteria. There are some beasts that live in the deep parts of the ocean. I mean, giant squid, multiple species of shark that live thousands of feet below sea level. The Leviathan referenced here shows up in the book of Job as well. And we're not going to get into it a a lot today, but basically it's just a large water-dwelling beast. I have no problem today calling it a sea monster. And I don't know if we're talking about Loch Ness or if we're talking about like an extinct megalodon shark or something like that. But what the psalmist is getting at is this, that all things, both great and infinitesimally small, owe their life and their sustenance to God. Every one of them. And God created them for himself. There are stars in faraway galaxies and celestial events happening. Uh, There are creatures at the bottom, deepest recesses of our seas that no human eye will ever see. Think about that. There are things that we will never put our eyes on, ever. And God created them and sustains them in the exact same way as he does the birds flying around my backyard or the flowers that are growing up in my front. God created them and God sustains them. Verse 27, these all look to God. All of creation looks to God. When God provides, creation gathers and grows. When God withholds, creation dies and returns to dust. The psalmist says, look around. God's providence and God's provision is on display. So, Seeing what you see and knowing what you now know, let me ask, do you actually acknowledge God as creator? Do you acknowledge God's power on display in creation? 
and a follow-up. If you do take that first step of acknowledging, okay, there's a God and He created things, do you believe that that God truly sustains all those things? Dallas Willard says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Not only did that punch me in the face this week, it's a really good heart question. What does it look like to live as if God truly does sustain all things? If he really is the sovereign provider of our every need, what would be different about your weekly calendar or your family budget or your life goals if you truly believed that everything you had, every breath in your lungs, the blood cells pumping through your body, the ability to be creative in your mind, the strength in your uh, extremities, um, all of your time and treasure talents, your home, your family, if you believe that everything was from God and that God was calling you and me to be faithful stewards of his provision, what does it look like to live that way? And now in these last five verses, we find our final point and where the psalmist lands his profession. This is where the first 30 verses of kind of like God-honoring nature lesson expands to what I see as a very gospel-filled response. Look at verse 31. The psalmist says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Verse 34 shows us the desire of the psalmist and should be our desire too. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. The psalmist says, my, my meditation, my worship, my focus, my response, when I look upon all that God has created, may he be pleased because what's stirring in my heart is worship. Worship to him. Verse 35, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Hold the phone. Where did sinners come from? And what does sinners being consumed from the earth and the wicked being wiped from the face of the planet have to do with the rest of the psalm? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but does it, stand, does it catch you off guard a little bit too when we're reading through it? You're like, wow, God's glory on display in creation. And you're like, oh, that got really escalated really quickly. See, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that what can be known about God is plain to see, even in creation, so that nobody has an excuse to at least acknowledge that there is a God, that he created all things. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 1, starting in verse 18. You see, all of creation obeys the Lord. Did you see that in Psalm 104 as we read through it? Even fractured by sin, even though all of creation is groaning until the end of all things, when Christ returns and everything is made new, even still, the waters and the winds obey him. The animals of the earth and in the depths of the sea do what they do. 
They run their course and the Lord provides for them. All creation obeys the Lord, save one. The one creature made unique among the rest. The one made in the image and likeness of Yahweh himself. Humanity. That's the one that says, I don't know. See, the psalmist is highlighting here, remember, God is holy. He is good. He is set apart. And so it is just that sin and wickedness and evil would be wiped out because God is, that is not God. God is holy. If the glory of the Lord is to endure forever, then wickedness and sin should be destroyed. And in his book, Chosen by God, R.C. Sproul asks a really good question. Is there any reason that a righteous God ought to be loving toward a creature who hates him and rebels constantly against his divine authority and holiness? It's a really simple answer, R.C. No. <laughs> no, there's no reason. There's no inherent reason in mankind where it would be like, well, I don't know, I should feel bad for them. I should be... No, not one reason why God should be loving or show mercy to me in my rebellion. Creation itself tells us that there is a God who made everything and is calling creation to account. But instead, we have worshipped creation instead of creator, and we all stand condemned. That's what the psalmist is highlighting. And as Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs wrote, there is more of his glory in the word than there is of the whole creation of heaven and earth. So as, as glorious and majestic as creation is, God has spoken with even clarity, even greater clarity through his word and through his son. Hebrews chapter 1. This is the, this is the, um, the gospel hope that comes at the end of this nature lesson. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And get this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the beauty of Christ that flows out of Psalm 104. See, we should be consumed from the earth and wiped from existence, as verse 35 says. But we're not. You're breathing right now. If you need to test that, just... Jesus makes purification for sin, Hebrews tells us. Literally washing us clean of our rebellion. Washing us clean of our idol worship, our sin. And he sits down showing that his work is done. Jesus Christ, the one through whom all things were created, Hebrews 1 verse 2. The one who upholds the entire universe by the word of his power, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. This is the one who then enters into creation itself, wraps himself in human flesh, and by his death, his own blood brings purification so that we are not condemned and destroyed, but are being renewed. 
Jesus is the object of our awe. Jesus is the ultimate object of our awe. So we respond. For the one who has failed to acknowledge God as God. Let me tell you this morning, let me encourage you to to put down your statues of created things. Stop singing praises in the mirror and confess out loud that God is God and you are not. Can I encourage you to lift your eyes above the horizon of creation and consider the God who not only made all that you see, but who made you, who today is keeping your heart beating and your lungs breathing in and out. Only Christ can redeem you. Trust in his provision for you by faith. We'd love to talk to you and encourage you in that reality. For my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, let's together follow the path of this psalmist and bless the Lord with all that we are. Where is your heart dull or uninspired by the work of the Lord? Does does praise leak out of your heart and leak out of your mouth when you look around and see all that God has made or are you bored? Does gratitude well up inside of you as you consider not only God's glory on display in creation, which is glorious, by the way, but more so his deep and personal work to make you and remake you. And Mitch talked about that last week in Psalm 103, the praise and the gratitude that wells up in the, when we see the salvation of God. Maybe it means for you asking for a rekindling of your heart. It's a simple prayer. Maybe you need to pray in faith. God, give me new eyes. Bring clarity where there's dullness. Bring life where there's meh. Ask for a rekindling of your heart. Maybe try this. Confess praise even if you don't feel like it. We're just saying, I need you, Lord, I need you. And you might have been standing there saying those words going like, yeah, but I don't know if I'm really feeling that I need him right now. Let me just say you do. And let me encourage you, maybe pray that prayer by faith and hope your heart comes along for the ride. Obediently confess your need for God and and let him by the Spirit pull you along into deeper belief. Confess praise even if you don't feel like it. Act in obedience that belief might grow. And fill your mind and mouth with songs of praise. Say out loud, these things are true. These are true about God. These are true about who I am in Christ Jesus now. This is true about his work in me to sanctify me and grow me. And and proclaim those things. Fill your mouth and your mind with those things. Things Because all of this creation is designed by God to draw all eyes to Jesus. Not to end on creation, but to point to the one who created and sustains it, which Hebrews tells us is Jesus Christ himself. So when you stand on the edge of the mountain or the, the, the seashore, remember, it's God's mercy to you that he might use creation itself to stir up praise in your heart. As you behold the glory of creation now, allow it to point you to the sustaining power of Jesus 
and to the glorious hope of the new creation to come. Allow this gospel of hope to encourage you. Preach to yourself the sermon that Mitch started last week and I'm continuing today. Preach this sermon to your own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And as you consider the God who made you, the God who provides for your every need and is in the process of remaking all things, we join together and with the psalmist and we confess together, praise the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the glory of God revealed to us in the word of God and in Christ Jesus, the word made flesh. Thank you for your word that instructs us, that points us to Christ as our only hope. We pray and ask that you would wipe clean, clouded eyes, that you would reignite weary hearts, that we might see the glory of the Lord in all you've created and in all that you provide. And beyond these created things, would you revive our hearts in Christ Jesus, the uncreated one, the Son of God, who by his own blood has rescued and redeemed sinners. Would you grow faith in us by the Holy Spirit? Christ, we pray. Amen.